welcome back to another episode of So What Are You Watching? My name's Andrew. I'm Jay Pollitt. And if you missed last week's episode, we had our guest, uh, Stefan, and we discussed the Cornetta trilogy. We discussed our thoughts on that, as well as our earliest memories of the films and the characters. And if you missed that, definitely listen back to that on our RSS feed on Spotify, on Amazon Music, and on Apple Podcasts. So uh, I guess we'll start this episode by asking Andrew, what have you been watching? So I went to the cinema on Saturday in the evening. I went to see The Black Phone, which I've been wanting to see for a while since it was announced. This is a Scott Derrickson film. He did films like Doctor Strange, uh, Sinister, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, Deliveries from Evil. You get the point. The Black Phone is a horror which stars Ethan Hawke, James Ranson, and it's kind of like the anti-Sinister. I don't know if you've ever watched Sinister. Uh, I have not. The only Scott Derrickson film I've seen is the original Doctor Strange. Now, didn't he was only also supposed to like uh, direct Multiverse of Madness too? Yeah, he when the film was first announced, they said oh Scott Derrickson's coming back, and then he kind of dropped out for creative differences, and then the rest is history. <laughs> and is that when Sam Raimi took over basically? Yeah, I remember it was rumored quite a bit that Sam Raimi was going to be taking over, and then of course he did. The Black Phone is kind of like your general, well, maybe not your general, but it's it's like the main basis is like child abduction, like child kidnapping, with that kind of slight supernatural twist that kind of reminds me a little bit of like It and Sinister. Is it kind of like uh, the Room? Yeah, the Room, not not the Tommy Wiseau one, the 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 Brie Larson one. You know, because it was like the Tommy Wiseau one, then obviously it wouldn't be a horror, it'd be a comedy. Yeah, that was uh, Lenny Abrahamson. When I say anti-Sinister, so the main premise of Sinister is basically a bunch of kids have gone missing after a bunch of murders, and the main suspect is this guy called Bagul, or Mr. Boogie, as the kids call him. And Ethan Hart's character is basically like uh, a writer, like a crime writer. He's trying to, you know, figure out this case so he can sell more books. However, in The Black Phone, he's the antagonist in this, and the kids that are missing or, you know, ghosts or dead or whatever are actually the good ones. And it centers more around, like, this child that's just been abducted called Finn, or Finley. And he's trying to escape, and all these kid spirits are basically talking to him, like, you know, how to escape, like, what certain things to do, blah, blah. And... You know, it's it's generally creepy. It's nothing special. It's I don't think I'm gonna say it's like too original because you know it's very heavily influenced by Sinister and I mean it's Scott, so it makes sense to be. But there are a few moments where you're just like, oh okay, that was a nice little twist. That was a nice little reveal. You know, it's not something you need to think too hard about. Ethan Hawke is great in this. He has a great range in his characters. His mask is terrifying and i love it because it's interchangeable so you can change the top part bottom half into like a a sad face a frowny face just a blank face that's pretty creepy it is pretty creepy i've, I've never seen a mask on screen do something like that it's it's pretty it, it adds a lot more to his character it adds a lot more depth i believe now i wanted to go see this film and i did actually book tickets for it but i had no way of getting to my cinema because uh if you live in the uk you'll be aware there's been train strikes over the last week unfortunately i have not seen this film it's definitely something i'm gonna check out as soon as i can though something i want to ask is it says here that the tagline for the film is 
never talk to strangers. Is that kind of the regard in which you say, obviously, the kid is someone that gets abducted? In the film, what the main premise is, like, I mean, I think this is, like, set during, like, the 70s, I believe, maybe near to 80s. And this guy is kind of dubbed the grabber, as in, like, you know, he grabs kids off the streets and he abducts them and they go missing, presumably dead, because now the police have found him. And I feel feel like, I think in the film, five people have already gone missing. Uh, the main character, Finn, ends up talking to Ethan Hawke's character and then gets abducted. Although it looks like the grabber is more like he targets certain people. Um, and I feel like that's where the supernatural elements come in, but I'm not going to spoil anything about that because um, it, it links heavily into you know some some of some of the reveals later on. But it definitely the tagline is you know accurate. Is like you know don't talk to strangers or you know just don't don't talk to anybody who's got black balloons and a black van and has white makeup all over the face, especially in the seventies. Like uh, you know, don't don't do that. It genuinely looks pretty creepy. I mean, this this is a this is a Bloomhouse Productions, by the way, and I love like a lot of films that Bloomhouse have done. Uh, like majority of the time, they do make some like pretty decent horror films. They've got quite a decent like portfolio there. Get Out, Whiplash, Split, Insidious, the new Halloween franchise. Yep. Happy Death Day, Freaky, uh, The Purge, done all sorts. From my understanding, uh, films like get out and other stuff like by jordan peele are considered to be like modern masterpieces so if this is coming from the same production company then again i haven't seen the film but i imagine it's a fun ride i feel like one thing that people i would say maybe trigger people or maybe not trigger but just like you know it's very it's very heavy on that punishment of children so it's it's quite shocking to see actually like like domestic abuse yeah, like domestic abuse. Like one of the characters is a like your typical drunken father who whose wife is gone and is is looking after you know the main two kids because one of the kids is um, Finn's sister, which obviously in, from the trailer she's the one trying to pe- put the pieces together in a way. She's got her own like little detective arc, I guess. But he, the father's kind of your typical like, you know drunken um, idiot and. At, there's like one point where it's just like he's uh using a belt and whacking his daughter and that was like quite like upfront and shocking. And do you see that? Yeah, you you see that it it there's I don't think you actually see any of the marks and all that, but you see him like hitting her with the belt and all that he hears screams and it's like it's that it's quite mortifying, um, you know, to see something like that on screen. So like trigger warning if you have got um, if you've experienced stuff like this in the past, yeah, because this film is 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 very, is by no means like very like at all like gory, um, but it's very you know, on the nose with its themes, very psychological, very on the nose with its themes. Like it's very like you know these are what happens to kids. It doesn't actually show like graphic mutilations of the children all that nothing like that. It shows them obviously as ghosts with marks on the face. It's like it gets the general idea of just like how kind of like brutal it is. Like, and in... it's kind of funny you say that because, um, not that what you're talking about is funny in any way, but um, Ethan Hawke is in this, and obviously, Ethan Hawke was also in the Moon Knight series earlier this year, which I believe you said you haven't seen. I've seen clips of it, but I haven't actually been able to watch it properly because I don't own Disney Plus. 
it's not really a spoiler, but Moon Knight also kind of delves into like domestic abuse as well, like child abuse more specifically. So it's a bit strange that, you know, Ethan Hawke happens to be in two projects where something like that is a big toll on the overall plot. I find it just, you know, funny and coincidental that he's in a movie that's about kids disappearing again, except he's the one taking the kids this time instead of finding them. Which, again, I want to mention this, like, for the third time now, Anti-Sinister, which you need to watch Sinister. It's, I think it's still on Netflix. I think both of them are on Netflix, actually. But I don't think he direct, uh, Scott Derrickson directed the second one. I think it was a producer. He does one film, but he doesn't direct the second one. And I think he is credited as a producer on Doctor Strange 2 as well. Yeah, I believe so, from what I've seen on uh, Google. That's what I've been watching this weekend, and it was, you know, a great film. I'm... I'm if, I mean, if I could rate it, I'd probably give it like an 8, maybe like a 7.5. It wasn't the best horror film in the world, but it was definitely something to, you know, satisfy my hunger for new horror films, because a lot of the horror films I've seen this year are, like, very, like, disappointing. Um, Firestarter, which was, you know, a remake. Men. Men was just god-awful. I'm trying to think what other horror films I saw see this year. X was alright. It was great. Decent little slasher, actually, by A24. Similar to my recently watched last week, though, uh, it is quite... Don't take your kids to go see that one. Well, don't take your kids to see any of these, I don't think. Don't take your kids to see a film about child abduction. And I don't think you're going to let your kids into a cinema anyway that asks for, like, 15 rated. Even though they didn't ask for our IDs, so... If you know what I'm referring to, you know what I'm referring to. X and Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, are both... In the same realm as of uh, graphic content, just a different kind of graphic. <laughs> well, one's you know very sex positive. The one makes you want to have a shower because of um, the things you've seen. That like X, you know, is is graphic, and then there's like kind of I'm not gonna say like like men, but there there is a part in there which is like, did we need to see that? I know exactly what you're referring to. No spoilers though. Still, yeah. No spoilers, but my god, A24 do step it up when they want to be like very shocking. Um, Definitely. There are a few shockers in Black Phone, actually. Like like I said, again, nothing dead graphic. But there's definitely some scenes that'll make you go like gasp or, you know, shock or something like that. But What age rating did you say this film was? This is This is a 15. Okay. So you don't expect, you know, anything that's like sore, I guess like people trying to cut off their own feet or anything like that because it's just as children so graphic but not too graphic graphic but not too graphic nothing compared to like it okay which is kind of funny too because it's a 15s and yeah it was a 15 and i wasn't allowed to go see it how come because i went to the cinema and they were like i don't think you've told me this have i not told you this story i i, I swear i've told like everybody this i went to watch the first it when i I think I was 15. I was 15, just turning 16. There were no problems at all. I got through, you know, didn't get asked for my ID because uh, I didn't have an ID. I was only 15. Uh, two years later, I still didn't have an ID when I was 17. And It Chapter 2 came out. Me, exact same friend, went to the exact same cinema to watch the second film. And they were just like, no, you're, you can't prove to, you're not able to prove to us that you are um, 15 or older. And I'm like, Put it this way, at, at the time, I did. I definitely did not look under 15. And yeah, ever since then, I've kind of had a grudge against Cineworld, even though it was just one worker. Yeah, that, that was my experience. I have not seen It Chapter 2. 
Um, wow, I've I've never never had that to be fair. Did you have your ID on you? I didn't have an ID. You didn't have an ID. I had a college ID, but they didn't even accept that. Even though you have to be sixteen to get into college. Yeah, that's kind of weird because I've been to some cinemas and they have just let me use my college ID, even though I applied for my ID when I left high school. So it's just ridiculous. But this is a few years ago now. It's whatever. Yeah, black phone. You know, it's not as graphic as like films like It, because It was like that. That that didn't shy away from just showing like you know Georgie's arm being bitten off and uh, kids being eaten and all that. Like that. That was straight up, um, you know, nightmare fuel. But I feel like this one's a little bit more grounded, so it's not going to show that because otherwise it leans way too into more like people's personal like problems and trauma. Um, okay, but you know. It's 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 a good it's a good little film. It's a good good flick that you know I've I've enjoyed, and yeah, that's basically what I've been watching. But enough about what I've been watching. What have you been watching, Jordan? So what I've been watching this week is gonna kind of tie into our main topic. Which, if you listen to last week's episode, uh, we said we were going to be talking about uh Jim Carrey and his best films basically so in preparation for this i watched a load more jim carrey films i hadn't seen one of those films which i'm using for this segment is uh batman forever isn't batman forever the one with uh val kilmer in it not um michael keaton yeah why why did they uh change him for that exactly uh i don't know i don't know if michael keaton had like prior commitments or something val kilmer is still just as good because wasn't this also a different director too? Uh, yeah, but Tim Burton is still attached as producer. Yeah, because Tim Burton did. Uh, how many how how many Batman films did Michael Keaton have? Was it two? Or was it the one? I think it was two because he did Batman and then Batman Returns. Yeah, Batman Batman Returns, and I think uh, Tim Burton was director for both of those, right? Yeah. Yeah, the Val. This this one is Val Kilmer, like you said. This links into the main subjects, which we'll talk about uh, later. Jim Carrey as um, the Riddler and uh, Tommy Lee Jones as um, Two-Face. I actually have a, a funny little story actually about that. I think it was like during the time when they was actually doing the film. Because I don't think they actually had met each other before. Or if they did, they didn't really talk to each other. And it was a time where Jim Carrey might have been in, like, in a restaurant somewhere. Or somewhere that Tommy Lee Jones was sat down at. And he just uh, you know called over to... Uh, Tommy to basically you know like uh say hi and all that and Tommy apparently was like shaking just like his blood was boiling up and all that he went over to Jim Carrey basically hugged him and just said in his hair as like I-, I hate you I really don't like you so it's like you just uh uh it says he can't fathom his like buffoonery or something like that which I just find really funny just like you can't say that to Jim Carrey it's his thing <laughs> And then you can see like all the press photos actually during that time, like all the the m- main cast of uh, Batman Forever, they're all smiling. And then Tommy Lee Jones is just in the corner, just having none of it. He's just so unhappy. But that's that's just him. Just you know, he's got that face. I mean, I've literally I'm looking at the Batman Forever page on Letterboxd right now, and on the cast list, everybody's smiling. So you got Val Kilmer, Jim Carrey, Nicole Kidman, all the different cast members, all just smiling in their photos, and there's just Tommy Lee Jones looking miserable as hell. That's most of his films, though. He's just he's got that face. Just you know, it doesn't he could he could he could be happy, and he still look like he's like 
just unhappy. Someone should check up on him. Someone should check up on him. How, how old is Tommy Lee, actually, currently? Uh, 1946 he was born, so that makes him like 75, turning 76. Oh, wow, I thought he would have been older, actually. He looks older than that. No offence, Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's my little story. Bam, Bam and Forever. It's been a it's ba- it's been a while since I've actually watched Bam and Forever, but I liked it. Did you like it? Yeah, and I think it's a controversial opinion because, on average, on Letterboxd, uh, the majority of people have rated this two stars. I've I've, I've heard it's like the one of the most critically panned Batman films out there, alongside its sequel, Batman and Robin, which Val Kilmer's not even in. That's the one with the uh, the bat nipples, isn't it? Well, there's bat nips in this one too. Yeah, but they were a lot more prominent in the George Clooney one. And also you had uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger as um, Mr. Freeze, and you had Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy, and it was just like really, really just cheesy. Like, like not even uh, Batman Forever cheesy, like it was a lot worse than that. Because that was a lot of like what I kind of liked about this film. Like, I don't know, it felt to me like... I don't know if you will take this offensively as a DC fan, but I would probably watch more DC films if they will like Batman Forever. I get that. It's it's wacky and comic booky. They remind me so much of like do you did you watch uh, Batman Brave and the Bold when you were younger? Yeah, I love Batman Brave and the Bold. I used to watch that all the time actually. It felt like it was so much stylized just like that. I wouldn't mind stylized DC films compared to what they're trying to do now actually. Because what they're doing now are basically just like carbon copies of you know, the MCU formula. If they did something a little bit more stylized, maybe not a Batman, but then again, the whole dark Batman thing is is becoming quite meme now. So It's just all my life when I've heard Batman, this is the kind of thing I imagine. And I hadn't seen this film before. Well, I, I don't think I've seen this film before. But I don't know. It even reminds me of like um, the Batman Arkham games, uh, just kind of like the aesthetic that it sets. Like it's it's dark, but it's also... A little bit campy. Yeah, because it's quite... Because this is... It's, if it's coming from, you know, the origins of Tim Burton, it's like... It's it's that, it's that gothic, yet, like, wacky sort of thing. It kind of feels like Adam's Family-esque sort of thing. Which, actually, did this come before Adam's Family or after Adam's Family? Yeah, this was a few years after the Adam's Family. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, that I feel like that's where it kind of got the influence from. Yeah, okay, it's like, it's like that gothic, like, cartoon like, comic booky sort of feel that also feels, like, a little bit, like you said, stylized, a bit wacky, and a bit, you know, it's a bit goofy, and that's what I kind of like about this. Like, compared to, because, I mean, Batman and Batman Returns were proper, like, they were comic book films, but they were, like, dark comic book films, especially because it was Tim Burton. Like, they didn't, you know, they, they were quite messed up, actually. There was that one scene which I think, uh, I think it's, like, turned into a meme, where he's talking to Dr. Chase Meridian on the roof and she doesn't know that Batman and Bruce Wayne are the same person and she's saying like, oh, I can't love you, Batman. I I love somebody else. He's Bruce Wayne. And then Batman looks sad and then he turns around and he just has a huge like cheesy grin on his face. Oh, I've seen that face. Yeah. Yeah, I think that became like a huge meme, like a huge gif. Yeah, I remember. That's, 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 it being immortalized it's just like a meme batman face now which you know i love michael keaton but it's just such a memeable face obviously the reason i watched this film is because it's our jim carrey episode 
so I watched it specifically for Jim Carrey, and his performance as the Riddler, I thought, okay, this might be controversial. I prefer this Riddler to the one we got in the Batman. <laughs> wow, that is controversial. Why? Why do you say that? I don't know. The one in the Batman just was more not as energetic, which obviously this one is. He was like a f- really fun character, and I, whenever he wasn't on screen, I wanted to see it move back to the Riddler. Whereas with the Batman, that wasn't so much the case. As much as love um, Jim Carrey's uh, Riddler, I do love Paul Dano's version better. I don't know why. It kind of like his character is very like jigsaw inspired, and I kind of like that because like he's someone who wants to instead of play games like play riddles and all that, and he's playing like a game of like a uh, cat and mouse with um. Or should I say, Batman Mouse, um, with Batman? That's that's something I always love about Riddler because it's not it's not just you know it's like Batman's like his personal challenge. It's just like he's the one riddle that he can't really solve, so he wants to you know put loads of stuff in his path and basically like, you know I wanna I wanna play a game with you and all that sort of thing. Kind of like you know like how Joker is with Batman. Like all the villains are just heavily linked to Batman, and like this this version of uh, Riddler is just like. Oh, you and me are so alike and all that. Whereas Jim Carrey's Riddler is just absolute nuts. Like, um, <laughs> I think his the last thing he says in the whole film is "I'm Batman." R- r- reminds reminds me um reminds me of uh, what's it? Uh, Michael Keaton's like, "You want to get nuts? I'll let's get nuts." Uh, it's basically um Jim Carrey's Riddler. He's just he's just nuts. But yeah, there is a scene. It's like, oh, you want to know who who Batman is? So it's like, I'm Batman. He's he's just. Yeah, absolutely insane in it's like prison cell. you're doing a film uh like quote quiz it's like who said this quote uh i'm batman and then everyone's saying oh god was it um was it christian bale was it uh robert Pattinson? no it was jim carrey <laughs> so yeah i mean like i said watch this film for today's main topic basically so we may as well kind of lead into that main topic which is talking about uh jim carrey's greatest roles and greatest films just in general so andrew uh what would you say out of all the jim carrey films you've seen is your favorite that's a hard question i i can't i can't say i've got like a definite favorite there's a few actually not a few but i've seen like a lot of his films um yeah it's it's hard to just you know pick uh one uh movie there's just so many he's done but i definitely feel like some of my favorite ones is like um mr Popper's penguins a series of unfortunate events and ace ventura when nature calls and the mask i I love the mask i do believe we've um name dropped the mask in a past episode as well i can't remember when but we definitely have done it Oh, I remember, because we, we was talking about, I think it was a top five favourite each, and I mentioned Michael Myers' Mask, and you went to Mask. That's a great film. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, that's how I name-dropped The Mask. Well, you already know what my favourite is. Uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And I do believe, Andrew, that since last time, you have finally seen this film. Yeah, I finally got around to watching it on Sunday when I had time. What did you think? I, I sat down, I watched it, and it's definitely not what I thought it was going to be when you described the film to me. And I sat down and watched it. and How did I describe it? I, because, I mean, you described it how the description described it, about him basically uh, taking some sort of like treatment to get rid of um, the memories of his girlfriend and all that, and he starts go- going through the memories. 
I mean, which is the main basis of it. But I feel like it's just a, it's a lot more than that, and also, and you know, there's, it's a very different Jim Carrey film. Like I've seen him like there's a quite not a lot of films actually where he's not like that comedic, and and I feel like this is one of them because he's not trying to be comedic. He's he's just you know being. This is one of the few where it's done well as well because there's a few more serious tone Jim Carrey films like uh, the Number Twenty Three and Dark Crimes. I don't know if you've seen them. I know I haven't. No. Apparently they're awful, so that kind of explains what Eternal. I mean, there there is a funny side to Eternal Sunshine, so there's still somewhat of that comedic element there. Um, I think it still kind of fits Jim Carrey's vibe uh, in comparison to Number Twenty Three and Dark Crimes. It's like you say, there is just so much more to this film than what it looks like face value. I enjoyed it. I'll say that I enjoyed it a lot. It reminded me a lot of um. This is gonna be like a weird like comparison, but it reminded me of films like Memento and Fight Club, in a way. I don't know. It's like something to do with like the cinematography, but also like since this is to do with, like memory and like that Memento to do with memory, but that's more to do like short term. But it's just the way it's like um. I feel I feel like it was a, the beginning of it actually, like because the pieces are a bit like uh jumbled up in a way, and you, you don't realize. It's like it's a little bit non-linear until it gets to the main point where they're doing the treatment. So it reminded me a lot of uh, Christopher Nolan's Memento, which is basically like a non-linear story about short-term memory loss that jumps like like one step back, two steps forward, or like maybe the opposite way around. Uh, I think the uh like the first I'm gonna say fifteen minutes, just until it actually gets to the uh opening credits, I think that works as well, like as its own little mini short film kind of thing except you're not going to have suddenly the whole weight of everything else that comes around with it yeah i th- I think it's obviously it's one of my favorite films of all time <laughs> so uh i do have a lot to say about it yeah i didn't realize how many actors there were in this that i actually recognized like considering this is like an early 2000s film and there's so many actors i recognize and it's like i didn't realize mark ruffalo was in this until I saw his face, I'm just like, oh my god, that's Mark Ruffalo. Like this is this is before you know. Um, now you see me, and um... yeah, you've got Elijah Woods, Kirsten Dunst, Kate Winslet, and of course Jim Carrey. Yeah, like there's there's so many people I recognize, so many faces, and just so many talents I recognize. It's it's insane. And like, why why did I never watch this like earlier? That's what I've been wondering. <laughs> this is probably. If I could, even though it's not my number one favorite, if there was any film I had to recommend that everybody watches, it's this film. I I, I overall love the film, and like you said, I I wouldn't recommend it enough. Actually, if you've never heard of it, never seen it, but you've you've, you've seen the little movie card on Netflix, watch it while you can until it's gone. Like it looks like I I think a lot of the images they use to promote it um i like it's just a typical rom-com it's so much more than that though uh like it's something that makes you think it makes you feel stuff by the end of it yeah i thought it was gonna be like your typical like rom-com and all that and then watching it it's just it's a lot more than that it's like a like a very different it's still like you know some sort of a love story but i kind of like how it's in the memory it's going backwards because it's going back through his memories like from like the last memory to the 
um, the, the earliest memories, which is where like the whole memento sort of thing, the idea um, comes in, I guess. Yeah, Eternal Sunshine kind of also reminds me a little bit of um, Inception, which came out, you know, after like the early two thousands, like which was like twenty, uh, the the two thousand tens, like later on, because uh, that's more links with. Um, like I want to say memories, but also like dreams, and that's like a part of Eternal Sunshine. It is a very dreamscapey type of film, and in some parts it gets a little bit trippy, I guess, or a little bit like weird. Like there's there's a scene where they're both just in the bathtub, but they're both like absolutely tiny, in and not in the bathtub, the the sink, and I'm just like that's such a weird shot. A very iconic shot as well is um they they're in bed and then the next thing is they teleport to being like on a snowy beach just a lot of trippy visuals and a lot of just psychedelic um themes behind this whole film Uh, i don't know if you've obviously you have only recently watched this um so i don't know if you're aware but um there's like symbolism through the color of clementine's hair as well yeah because the hair changes color because i think the first time he meets clementine isn't it like pink or like blue or something it's like a dark red magenta kind of pink kind of color the blue is modern day the blue is like the most up-to-date version of her hair it just kind of helps you track along where everything goes along and i'd like to see somebody maybe cut up eternal sunshine and see if they can put things in linear order it'll probably look rubbish when you watch it it's something, cause like you were saying, Tarantino does non-linear films. Um, so it's kind of like that in that sort of regard. Although I think it connects itself a bit more. Because the main story, like obviously outside of uh, him going back through his memories, is linear. It's like what's happening there and then. But his memories is non-linear because it's going backwards. Um, and like you said, imagine if someone had put that up and basically it's just his memories were in order. So, you know, like you said, like the first like 15 minutes is his own little story. And then from there, imagine if they just instead of like doing the whole like memory sequence, they just used the relationship thing from the memories and then did it in like chronological order from like the, the start to the end. The main thing that always hits me is just the final shot of the film is Joel Barish, who's Jim Carrey's character and... Clementine, who's Kate Winslet's character, are running through the snow and then the shot repeats itself like two more times and it's kind of resemblant of just like, oh, they're going to fail but they're going to keep going on and on again. Uh, And it kind of makes it seem like the film is just like this endless time loop. Like you could put the film on all over again and that could be what's happening within the Eternal Sunshine universe. It's like like they're destined to be together but they don't realize it. Yeah, it's it's quite is spiritual the right word. Um, like existential. Existential, yeah. But of course, this episode we're not talking strictly about Eternal Sunshine. Uh, we're talking about Jim Carrey films as a whole. Are there any other Jim Carrey films you'd say have kind of got that sort of emotional depth to them? Maybe Bruce Almighty, which I know that's on the comedic side. Oh, that's what that's not what I was expecting. I was expecting to say something like Truman Show. Because <laughs> the Truman Show is also very existential. Because it's like, oh, am I being watched throughout my life? It's something I remember is um, back in the day, uh, a lot of the audience won't be aware of this, but I know you will. Uh, one Three Escape, you know what that is, right? I am very aware of what One Three Eight Escape is. Wink, wink. Uh, one Three Escape was a series that I did 
a few years ago, which was kind of like just a fictionalized version of my own life. Uh, but I remember while I was working on that, I had a lot of moments where I had these existential kind of crisis where I had like all these different existential crises. And I just kept thinking like, is my life all just like a big TV show? Cause that's kind of what I was portraying through the camera. So I was like, well, how do I know that this isn't all just like a big simulation or something? I wouldn't say I think that now, but you know, it definitely makes you ponder like the true nature of reality. Are we all alone on this big blue pebble? Like I was saying, Bruce Almighty, and yeah, it's not the choice that you would have thought, but you know, it's it's the main message is like, you know, imagine if you had the power of God and all that and you can do whatever you want, blah, blah. And it's like at that certain point, it gets to a certain point where I think things between, um, I think at some, at some point during that film where Jim Carrey and Jennifer Aniston, I, I think, I don't know what it is, like, I don't know if they either, like, break up or, like, split apart or just something doesn't work exactly. And I think at one point, like, uh, Jim's character, Bruce, ends up getting, like, hit by a car or something like that. And he's just, like, doing a prayer and just hoping that uh, his girlfriend or whatever is, is okay. I just feel like that's like quite, you know, like, oh, he's, he's, he was goofing around at first, but now he's just like, he's got the power of God. He's just like, oh, you know, he wasn't much of a believer, but now he's just like, oh, I'll make a prayer and try and make things right and all that. And he can still make things right. And he ultimately becomes God. Sorry, Morgan Freeman. <laughs> you know, I mean, Morgan Freeman's God is, you know, anytime I think God. It's perfect casting. Perfect casting. <laughs> anytime I think God, I just think it's Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman in the sky. I, I just feel like, you know, if if God is real, I feel like you just hear Morgan Freeman's voice booming over the world. Uh, like, of course, Morgan Freeman would be God. Um, I'm just trying to think if there's any other films, aside from the obvious choices like Truman. Uh, and I'm trying to think what else, to be fair. Well, there's one film I don't think you said you've seen, which is Man on the Moon. Yeah, I haven't seen this. You mentioned it. What's it about? It's basically, it's a biopic about Andy Kaufman, who, if you're not aware, was not a comedian, but an entertainer, as he described himself, uh, back in the late 70s and early 80s. And he died at like the age of 35 from, I think it was throat cancer? And Jim Carrey plays Andy Kaufman in this film, and obviously that's how it ends, and it ends up really depressing. It's funny throughout it, but then it just hits you really hard at the end. You can really feel what Andy Kaufman felt like through watching this film. Yeah, it's just... Another thing is, uh, I don't know if you've seen the documentary Jim and Andy, The Great Beyond? I've heard of it. I think I might have seen clips, actually. It's basically a documentary about the making of Man on the Moon, which came out like 20 years later. Basically, Jim Carrey lost his mind basically making this film. Uh, he went full on method acting um, where he was Andy Kaufman on screen and off screen. Uh, and it's showing that like literally he met Andy Kaufman's real family and kind of in, in somewhat of like a bit of a heartwarming way, kind of embodied their like their son and their brother he kind of embodied like their son and their brother in a way that they had him back, if that makes sense, because Jim Carrey embodied this real living person just so well. I think I've seen the trailer for this, actually. Doesn't this also focus on like his mental health, too? 
because I don't I do know he has uh some sort of mental health uh is it disorder? Uh he suffers from depression. But yeah, no, so this the film was just great. Danny DeVito's in it too. Of course Danny DeVito's in it. Danny DeVito plays George Shapiro, who I think is like Andy Kaufman's manager. But yeah, it's truly a heartwarming story. Why? Why is it any time? Why? Why is it any time? Dan DeVito is in a film from like either like the late eighties uh, or nineties or early two thousands. He's playing someone's <laughs> manager. He's just kind of, he's got that vibe to him. I guess I loved this film, and I was a mess by the end of it. I'll definitely have to give it a watch. Actually, just like Eternal Sunshine. Yeah. I've been doing um, Jim Carrey Marathon recently, so I've been watching... I've, I've watched like some of his most obscure films. Like I've watched some of the really old stuff he did, like Rubber Face and uh, Once Bitten. Once Bitten is amazing. Uh, it's a vampire film from the 80s, and Jim Carrey is the main character in it. But yeah, no, so Man on the Moon was amazing. But obviously... This these kind of films aren't really what Jim Carrey is known personally for. He's more known as being a comedian because that's what he is. And most of his films are comedies, kind of camp comedies uh, in a way that there's always something surreal going on. But yeah, so what would you say are like some of your funniest moments from Jim Carrey films? Ah, oh, some of some of my f- funniest moments. I don't know. I think I feel like that's so. It's so hard. It's so hard to say because there's so many great scenes. Uh, I, I, you know, I want to start with um, that that scene from Ace Ventura, uh, when nature calls, where he gets um, I think if he, he asks someone to basically like, throw him a spear, and he gets a spear thrown to his leg, and he just starts screaming, just you know, pointing at the, his knee, and then he gets another spear thrown, and he's just like ah ah, and then points to both knees, and he's just like ah. <laughs> And I feel like that's become like a running gag in a lot of different types of media and a lot of different types of um, TV shows and all that. I think from, I think from Ace Ventura when Nature Calls, uh, my favorite scene is the very iconic moment when he's in the robotic rhino and he's trying to get out of it. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, he's basically he's got overheated inside like a massive rhino robot so like he's taken off all his clothes and he starts climbing he he, like carves a hole into the robot and he starts climbing out of it little does he know he's climbing out of the robotic rhino's anus and then a huge like safari tour come up and they think that this rhino is giving birth and then they just see jim carrey like squeezing out of the rhino uh pulling all the jim carrey faces and everything it's just it's amazing (laughs) There's, there's also him when he's uh, leaving the temple, and he, he's got the slinky. It's like what, like a thousand different steps, and they have to <laughs> wait for the yes, slinky to go down. That's... And it stops like um, three steps below the actual um, bottom. It's just like who's he with in that film? Ah, I'm not too sure. It's the guy who plays Hagrid in Harry Potter, I believe. I was gonna say that he played David Tennant's dad in Nativity Two, but <laughs> it's uh, Ian McNeese. I think it's like some sort of like um, I don't I, I don't want to say like hunter, but he's, he's definitely some sort of like safari sort of person, like you know, because he's he goes to he's basically to resolve some sort of thing about a missing white bat uh, to stop two tribes from basically going to war and all that, 
Oh, and isn't that like isn't that like uh, Ace Ventura's like one animal he doesn't like is like bats? Bats, yeah, he does not like bats. You see, I prefer the second film, but I remember the first one more. Yeah, well, I feel like the first one, despite its funniness, funniness, and despite it just being an absolute iconic film, there are its slight problems with it. Well, not slight problems, but there are like it's it's aged poorly. Yeah. Um... It's a very it's it is very transphobic. There's no going around saying that. Um, it's a very problematic film. That's what I'm gonna say. I mean, it has been like thirty years, so I guess I can spoil it in saying that uh, the main twist of the film is that the bad guy, it, who's a woman, is actually a trans woman. And it's like, oh my god, she's a man, and it's like that kind of twist just can't be done today. I don't think. Um, it's just very problematic. But aside from that, there's loads of stuff in the first film which I do love, like a lot of gags and stuff. I lo- I love the um, I love the fact that they got a uh, cannibal corpse actually to actually play at the um the gig bit, and and I think there's like one bit where they're asking for like directions, like excuse me, do you know where this thing is? And the guy's just shaking his head. He's just like thank you, and then he, and like later on he just surfs crowd. On the um, the the pit where, where Cannibal Corpse is like singing in front of, yeah. There's there's an interview actually uh, of him talking about having Cannibal Corpse on. Uh, I see without or him saying like he recently listened to like thrash metal. And he's just like, oh, I I could do a duet of uh, doing thrash fr- metal. Uh, I feel like I feel like that's maybe where I got the Cannibal Corpse idea from, for Ace Ventura. I'm not too sure, but I I, I just find it really funny. There's um I think my favorite scene is probably the whole uh Aerosmith montage about thirty minutes into the film. Uh there's so many iconic bits in that montage, like when he's in the letterbox and he's um when he when he's searching for basically the the gem that was on everybody's rings as part of the Miami Dolphins football team. So like there's the scene where he's he grabs somebody's hand as they enter a letterbox. Uh, he goes into an arm wrestling match. And then my favorite part is he is at a urinal and he, this guy is doing his business. And then Jim Carrey comes up to him and cause he's looking for a ring obviously, which is on people's ha- fingers. So he starts looking towards this guy's hand while he's urinating. And, uh, the guy like turns around to him. He just stares at him. Then he looks down, and then he looks back up at Jim Carrey, and just has the biggest grin on his face. Uh, and then Jim Carrey's like, "Oh, okay." And then he just like runs off, and uh, the guy follows him, and he's like got all his hands all flamboyantly, like that. Uh, I thought it was really funny. Most like earliest memories are like his funniest scenes is probably from the mask. Um, the the scene where he's in the you know the blow balloons and all that. And he ends up reaching his hand to one pocket and he ends up pulling a condom, uh, condom out. He's just like, whoops, wrong pocket. <laughs> and he makes uh, the dog for him or the, um, the thugs. He's just like... Milo is... I would die for Milo, honestly. No, 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 no. Not not, not that dog. I'm talking about the um, the balloon dog. Oh, um, I thought you were talking about Milo. When he's making... When he's, no, when he was making the balloon dog for one of the, the thugs and all that, he ends up giving to him and ends up popping. It's like, sorry, son, I had to put him down. Oh yeah, and after that, it's just like, and then for my last trick, uh, a Tommy gun, and he he just pulls out like a Tommy gun out of the balloons and starts shooting him. It's like I can be a superhero, but first, and then he goes to the garage and basically just 
I don't know what he does actually. But it's peak camp comedy, honestly. Yeah. The mask, like I think even if you haven't seen it, you at least know of its existence. It's such an iconic film. Its sequel, however, was absolutely atrocious and should not have been made because I've not seen it. I know Jim Carrey's got like nothing to do with the sequel. No, 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 so no, nothing to do with the sequel and it's got nothing to do with anything from the first film because it's it's the same thing with Ace Ventura. They made uh, Ace Ventura Junior in like yeah. two thousand nine, and that's like considered one of the worst films to ever exist. Yeah, I don't, I don't get that. That's one thing they've done a lot of with like Jim Carrey films is rebooting them with nothing to do with like the original character. They did it with uh, Bruce Almighty. They gave him Evan Almighty with Steve Carell. No, but I liked Evan Almighty. Evan Almighty was, you know, a natural good film. I I think it's still like a part of the whole like because I think they even did it with Dumb and Dumber. Um, they did Dumb and Dumber when Harry met Lloyd, which I think's meant to be a pun on when Harry met Sally, which is weird because then they ended up making Dumb and Dumber two after that film. Uh, what do you think of the uh the Dumb and Dumber franchise? Not I'm not gonna say franchise, but Dumb and Dumber films. I definitely prefer the first one. Oh, definitely. The second one doesn't have the same heart as the first. One thing I didn't like about Dumb and Dumber 2 was they advertised the um the dog car like all throughout, like in all the trailers and stuff, and it appears in the actual film for like five seconds for a quick pun. Enough. I I feel like Dumb and Dumber like it's the first film. It it just had like a charm about it, like and that the second one just couldn't replicate. I'm not even typically into, like, dumb comedy, uh, but it, Dumb and Dumber just does it so well. Like, you can tell there's, like, actual thoughts bef- behind the different dumb jokes. Oh, I'm trying to think of examples, but I can't. Was it the first film or the second one when they had the um, the police officer uh, coming to inspect their uh, car? The first one where um, it's like, oh, have you, have you, have you been drinking the, the um, um, you know, alcohol and all that? It's just like, oh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't drink that. And it's like, ah, oh, don't tell me what to drink. And he drinks. It's, it's, it's just full of wee. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, go, get out of here. Uh-oh. Yeah, he he needs to do his business, and they um. So Harry's like, oh well, we've got some bottles in the back, and then he just he doesn't stop, and I think he fills up like eight whole bottles. <laughs> yeah, it's like. Uh, the police officer's like, pull over. It's like, it's a jumper, but thanks for noticing. Pull over. <laughs> uh, you want you know one of my favourite parts of um, Dumb and Dumber? Go on. Mark. Yeah. Ing. Yeah. Bird. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed our performance. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let, us, let us know of our uh, impression. <laughs> I would say... I would say, hey, do you want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? But I'm not prepared no. to do that on microphone. <laughs> prepare, prepare for like the rest of the episode. It's just Jordan screaming down the mic. Um. <laughs> it's going to be a musical. This is the musical episode. Oh, no. We should, we should do that. A, a musical episode. We just start singing. Oh, oh, about like, actual musicals. <laughs> I think we're like get an episode where we just sing the whole time. Oh, I mean, whatever. If 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 you want to do, if you want to do one where we're actually singing, or you just do one about musicals, I don't know. It's up to you. But... I think I'd have to watch more musicals. To be fair, I haven't actually seen that much. But yeah, no. So Dumb and Dumber, yeah, it's great. 
one Jim Carrey film which I think was very critically panned at the time, but has kind of been more loved as the years have gone on. Uh, a film that I love is um, it's called The Cable Guy. <laughs> yeah, I've seen. I think I've seen this, but it's been a while since I've seen The Cable Guy. I think they actually did like a a recent advert actually of the cable guy at one point. Yeah, they brought him back um, for some. I can't remember what it was a um, advertisement for, but it was it it had Jim Carrey as the cable guy. Yeah, probably was just like during the the NFL. It probably was during uh, NFL. Because I remember Jim Carrey tweeted it, and he was like, "He's back." And I'm not sure I'd be open to a cable guy too. You know, I I love the original. Another interesting thing is it's uh, Matthew Broderick who plays Simba in The Lion King. He's the guy that Jim Carrey is harassing throughout the whole film. Ah. Why did this get panned exactly? I don't know. I think maybe it was ahead of its time. Um, it, it was a very... It, it is a very weird film. So I kind of understand that. Because that's what I find weird. Like A lot of these... All the films got panned by critics, but when you look back at them now, they were actually like you know they they were gold basically. The it's the epitome of Jim Carrey's weird eccentric films because his character is weird eccentric, which most of his characters are. But um, it's it's just really creepy at the same time. You know, at first you're like, oh, I just feel sorry for this guy. He just wants friends, and then he's taken it way too far. I, I think it's I think the film's hilarious, honestly. You know, you've got the basketball scene, that's iconic. Uh the karaoke scene, iconic. Medieval Times is a very iconic scene. The cable guy is probably it's um it's at the top probably of my like favourite Jim Carrey films. I wanna say like one of my most recent favorite Jim Carrey characters, which is uh, Dr. Robotnik, because I feel like, you know, when it was first introduced as Dr. Robotnik in the first Sonic movie, which, you know, was the studio got bullied basically to change Sonic's design. Jim Carrey's character in that, you know, it was an establishing character, and I still think he works in that, but I love his character even more in the second one. He looks a lot more like Eggman in the second film. It looks a lot more like it, but it's his own like established version but like, i love him like he's, i mean after these um... films i can't imagine anybody else playing him and also when you consider i mean i know obviously he's said i mean he hasn't fully stated that he is retiring he said he might be retiring um but if he isn't i would say if he wasn't retiring i would say that this film sonic the hedgehog is kind of would have re-sparked his career because he hadn't really done much films before that, like in recent years. Um, I think his last major one was Dumber Dumber Two. Yeah, no, but he also did. Um, I think it was the Bad Batch or some of that. But you only heard like a. Like I haven't a seen it. Role in that actually. I think that's on Netflix, and that's like about like a bunch of, like outcasts, like in the outback in Australia or some something like that, and. He plays like a really silent character in that, but I know he was in that. I don't know if he was in any other films before that, but I do know like. I think the last thing he was in before Sonic was literally the Dark Crimes film I mentioned earlier. <laughs> yeah, I've, I saw that. Um, I don't think I've actually watched it. I'm not too sure exactly what. Uh, it's supposed to be awful. 
So so Sonic basically like re-sparks his kind of like acting like uh charm, I guess. And you know, even uh, if it does end up in his last film for whatever reason, I I, I do think he he did gr- a great performance in it and uh I I love his version of uh, Dr. Eggman. Um and yeah, he's it's just dead quirky, dead funny. Him with a massive bus- bushy mustache and no hair on his head is is something to see. I think I heard somewhere that he wanted his version of Eggman to be a bit bigger, but he the producers were like, "Well, we want you to bring more Jim Carrey to it." And I think a quote like they said, "Jim Carrey is not fat," <laughs> um, which you know that's a bit yeah, it's a bit uh of an overreaction. If he's in the third one, then they should make him, like, f- finish off his arc, make him big. Yeah, may- maybe not, like, you know, absolutely massive, but I feel like, you know, like, something that's a little bit more resemblant of Eggman. But even then, now, like, his... Do you like what they did with Thor in Endgame? Yeah, they could do something like that, maybe. Uh, but even then, I-, I wouldn't actually mind if they didn't give him, like, some sort of fat suit or anything like that, because, or padding. Because his, his Eggman is now just iconic. Like, I wouldn't see it any different, to be fair. It's like his, his version is, you know, is a great movie adaptation of it, especially with the, the Chaos Emerald and all that. But... Now, Jim Carrey, I don't think I can see anybody else playing Eggman. And I, I, do, I do think, like, the quote from Jim Carrey was that, like, it wasn't strictly, I'm retiring. It's more that... He's. I don't think he's actively going to be looking for work, and if something comes his way which he likes the look of, he'll do it. Because there's even there's still talk of them making Ace Ventura three, which obviously you can't just cast Ace Ventura, recast Ace Ventura. That'd be abysmal. Unless it's another prequel. No, thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, so what other? You've got stuff like Liar Liar. Um, you've got Mr. Popper's Penguins. Um, I've mentioned that before. I do. I think I don't think much people are into Mister Pop's Penguins too much. I've only seen it once, and I I didn't think it was awful. I like Jim Carrey and I like penguins, so it was both of them together, like perfect. And, and I don't think it's my favorite Jim Carrey film. Obviously, that goes to Eternal Sunshine, but it, it it's good. It's a fun, it's a fun film, which is all I'm really looking for when I watch these. There's also like. Some other films I've been watching recently are stuff like uh, Yes Man and I Love You, Philip Morris. I don't know if you've seen them. Yes Man is kind of like Liar Liar, where obviously he can't lie. This In this film, instead, he is... He's not forced to say yes, but he like chooses an oath where he has to say yes to everything or bad things will happen to him. Uh, and I Love You, Philip Morris is a film where he's gay basically, with Ewan McGregor. It's based off the real story of Stephen Russell, who was a con artist, who fell in love with his inmate when he went to prison. And, uh, yeah, it's the the chemistry between Jim Carrey and Ewan McGregor, two straight men, is surprisingly, um, surprisingly immersive. Like, you love to see them together. There's there's so many there's so many Jim Carrey um films and so many characters he's done that you know it it'd be impossible to kind of just go through every single one individually, um but you know I, he's he's had such a great range and I really do hope that 
it does do another film at least. Yeah, it'd be nice to just see him, even if he's not doing regular films, because he hasn't been doing films that regularly lately anyway. Um, but if he just pops around and he's like, hey, it's me again, I'm okay with that. So anyway, kind of leading out of our main topic, uh, we'll head into our third act, film news, which uh, we just kind of spoke a little bit about Jim Carrey retiring, which if we started this podcast a few months earlier, we probably would have reported on, but we didn't, obviously. But just recently in the news, uh, another big famous film person who has announced that they'll be retiring is John Williams, the famous film composer, who you may know as the composer for the Star Wars films, uh, Indiana Jones. What else has he done? Jurassic Park, E.T., Jaws, Harry Potter, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Home Alone. So clearly, he's a very iconic film composer. Some of the most iconic themes you know. It's a very sci-fi, very, very, very uh, sci-fi uh, involved person, I'd like to say. I feel like everybody knows, like, the Jurassic Park theme. Everybody knows the Star Wars theme. The Jaw- He did Jaws. Um, he's clearly one of Hollywood's greatest composers. And uh, he's stated that this may be his final film. Did he do um? Did he do Jewel of the Face? Like the actual song for that was that John Williams? Yeah, he did all the main Skywalker saga music. Cause my fi- my favorite uh themes from Star Wars um saga is Jewel of the Face and the Imperial March. Like they're the two ones that stand out to me. Battle of the Heroes for me is up there. He's an absolutely legendary film composer. What age is he retiring at now? He is 90. His first film that he composed was uh, 1958, Daddy-O. So he would have been in his late 20s. That must have been a long time he's been doing it for. Um, how, how long has he been doing it? Probably just over 60, but still a huge career. And I can't say I blame him. He's planning on retiring now. Um, 60 years is a hell of a long career. Uh, I mean, Jim Carrey's just said he's retiring. Jim Carrey is 60. Um, he's been he's only been acting for like 20, 30 years. Um, and apparently this might also be Harrison Ford's last film as well. The official quote from John Williams is, at the moment I'm working on Indiana Jones 5, which Harrison Ford, who's quite a bit younger than I am, I think has announced that this will be his last film. So I thought if Harrison can do it, then perhaps I can also. From what I from what I've seen, I haven't actually seen anything officially from Harrison Ford, but that's what John Williams said. So I'm assuming that that is going to be the case, uh, and I wouldn't be surprised at all because Harrison Ford's getting on as well. I don't think he's a he's a massive fan of like you know these uh requels. I like to say you know the legacy sequels. Like he was happy he got killed off in um. Was it Star Wars? Uh, well, then again, Harrison Ford was advocating for that yeah. back in the eighties. He's been doing this a long time. I don't think Harrison Ford was ever yeah, a he's huge been doing Star this Wars a long fan. Time and you know, uh, I feel like it kind of makes sense that Indiana Jones Five is his last film, but I do hope it you know is respectful to his character and not a mess like uh, how Indiana Jones Four was. But... Yeah, Harrison Ford's first role was in 1966, so he's been working for about 50, nearly 60 years. So it's a shame to see 
Harrison Ford and John Williams potentially leaving the industry. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, they do have their own lives. They are getting on. And I would encourage everybody out there who may be upset to this not to harass them or anything and just enjoy what you've got of them. It's the same thing I'd say for Jim Carrey. You know, he's done all this work for 40 odd years now. Let them live peacefully, you know, let them, if they want to retire, they can retire. Um, but on my side of the, um, the film news, stepping away from um, people that are leaving the film industry and more talking about things that are new actually and kind of coming out soon. Um, um, someone who's kind of around, like the same age as Jim Carrey ish is uh, Kevin Bacon and He's starring in a new horror film coming out, which is an LGBTQIA plus film called They Slash Them, which I assume is a slasher. Yeah, it's a it's a pun for the slasher because this is a slasher film. But I think the main premises, the main plot line is, um, you know, a bunch of uh, teens are sent to a gay conversion camp and there's a killer on the loose. And from the trailer, I have a suspicion that the whole they slash them kind of hints that there's not only one killer, but there's two different killers. But I'm interested to see where this goes, because this isn't actually being uh, released in cinemas. This is uh, a Peacock exclusive film, um, which is interesting. It, is Peacock in the UK? I don't think so. You might be able to watch it on Disney+. Plus. That's why I'm thinking. If not, maybe Sky. I mean, I've just seen this is also going to be another Bloomhouse film. Yeah, this is Bloomhouse. Like like um the Black Phone. Uh this this is uh Bloomhouse. This this is uh written and directed by uh John Logan. Um who's done films like uh Rango and Sweeney Todd. That's that's quite a uh interesting choice to go from those two to a LGBT horror i guess yeah i mean i'm probably gonna watch this film obviously with a title about they them it seems like the main character is going to be non-binary which representation uh i just hope that this is something that can be treated well because it's something which can be heavily misrepresented in lots of media uh, but the lead actor is a non-binary person as well so it could be decent not sure on the pronunciation of the last name, but Theo Germain, I think is their name. They're playing a character with my name, uh, Jordan. It's becoming a popular uh, non-binary name, clearly. <laughs> Speaking of other horror, though, um, there's also another film trailer that's just recently come out. Not long after they slash them came out, uh, it's called Smile and it's about what it says in name to be fair about smiling um you know it, it looks like it's one of those uh elevated horrors i guess about you know some like spiritual demonic entity that's basically making people smile and then kill themselves beforehand and then you know making you see things uh but the trailer you watched this before didn't you jordan what what do you think of the trailer 
it seemed decent. I can't say I've given it too much thought. I think it was creepy. <laughs> um, definitely, yeah, it's definitely a creepy film. Uh, it's I'm gonna just be watching a trailer here actually again, and it's a scene where she's just walking past uh like a hospital room and this is the man just sat there like no expression just just him smiling staring at nothing um and then all of a sudden he just starts shouting you're gonna die you're gonna die it's just like oh my god um and as the trailer progresses it gets more and more creepy it reminds me heavily of stuff like uh the babadook and a little bit like smiley which was like a like a, a bit of an awful early two thousands film. I've just seen here uh, an alternative title for this film is uh, something's wrong with Rose. Okay. And the lead character is called Rose Cotter. Yeah. Jesse T. Usher's in this actually. The he plays um, A Train in the Boys, which is you know interesting to see. Carl Penn is in this. Uh, Scott Teller. Quite quite a few uh, actors I recognise, but I'm I'm excited for it nonetheless. You know I'm I'm a massive horror nerd, so of course I'm going to be excited for it. When am I not excited for a horror film? We were just before the podcast. We were talking about uh, how many times have we mentioned horror films in the podcast. And one thing we realised is we have talked about Eternal Sunshine in every episode so far. Um. But yeah, I think there was like one episode where we don't think we have discussed horror films. I think that was episode three. But yeah, no, so here's the addition to that. Is there any... I don't think there was any Jim Carrey horror films. Unless you count The Cable Guy. Or unless you count A Christmas Carol as a horror film. Um, I don't know. Because of the ghosts? Well, maybe not because of the ghosts, but because of like the last ghost. Like the... the um... The Ghost of Christmas Future. It wasn't the Jim Carrey uh, Christmas Carol, but one of the other Christmas Carol adaptations out there, I don't know which one it was, but I remember we used to watch it. Like, they showed it us in school when we were, like, five years old, and it gave me nightmares. Like, the ghosts were just creepy as hell in that. Yeah, because isn't the ghost just, like, a grim reaper at this point? Basically, because they're, like, showing this is your death. Yeah, I don't think it's done any of a horror... I believe I don't know unless you want to call uh the Grinch a horror, but <laughs> once bitten maybe because that is a vampire film, but then vamp it's not it's not really a horror film. Yeah, that that's kind of it on my end for news. Actually, is there anything else that you wanted to to say? Another twenty twenty two film which has already been released and we have talked about a couple times on the podcast is Top Gun Maverick, which. The reason we're bringing this up is because, uh, literally, I think it was today, the day that we're recording this, it's just been, it's just become the highest grossing film of 2022, and the first film to reach over $1 billion um, that's been released this year. Wow. How long, how long has it been out for? Uh, I think it's just over a month. So $1 billion within a month. Not too bad. Uh, I'm not going to assume anything, but I think the only other film in the last couple of years to reach a billion was Spider-Man No Way Home. Which we talked about in uh, episode uh, 3, if you missed that, so definitely go check that out. Currently in the box office for films this year, uh, in second place is Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which uh, hasn't reached a billion yet. It's about 50 million away from that mark. 
it might reach it. I'm not sure. That beats the Batman, which received up to 770 million. Uh, and then actually followed by Jurassic World Dominion, which is currently at 746 million. I'm assuming the lowest box office would be Morbius at this point. Well, it's not in the top 10. I'm looking at the top 10 right now. In 10th place is Too Cool to Kill. Son of the Hedgehog 2 is actually up there, so that kind of relates to today's topic. <laughs> oh, fair play, fair play. Another Jim Carrey film in the top 10s. Alongside this, Top Gun Maverick is also the 49th film to gross $1 billion worldwide ever. And yeah, it's... Uh, oh, it's now Tom Cruise's number one film of all time. I might end up going to see it, but I still don't like Tim Cruise, so... Despite that, uh, absolutely congratulate everybody who was involved on this film on your achievement. Even though it might be <laughs> it might be surpassed by the end of the year, but for now, it is the highest grossing film. It has reached over a billion, and um, congrats. But that might change, so who knows? So moving on to a more serious tone... For the end of this episode um as many people will be aware the roe v wade case has ended and now it's a thing that in the u.s a lot of a lot of menstruating people will basically lose the right to get an abortion and i'm not i haven't actually looked too much into the ins and outs of what's been going on but isn't there like a certain number of states where strictly abortions are just banned now yeah I've, I've um i believe texas was already like you know considering trying to get abortions banned anyway and it was looking for a lot of excuses and now they have like that kind of because i don't think this completely bans it was, it was basically like overruling uh, an old case like an old um sort of um thing from the supreme court like a you know a few decades ago and that's kind of sparks like from there now it's like basically banning abortions or basically banning safe abortions and all that uh basically making it like practically impossible to get one and now a lot of um other states are basically taking their own hands like so it's like they've gone from that and now they're gonna take away other things so i, I believe in texas it's gone from now they can do that and now things they want in mind to get rid of as well alongside that is um women's right to vote and gay marriage and i believe from there there was another case actually because the supreme court basically says like a lot of these things were done uh a long time ago and all that and they weren't done like you know as straightforward as they should have been now and one of them and i find this deeply disturbing actually was the the griswold v kinetic uh case uh landmark decision of the u.s supreme court uh, rule that the Constitution of the United States um, basically gives people the right to buy contraception without, you know, government restriction. So, you know, like, you know, buying condoms and all that. And basically, if they overruled that now and got rid of that, that basically means, like, buying, like, you know, con condoms and contraception to basically start, like, pregnancy would be a lot harder. And I find that, like, it's very, like, dystopian, very, like, handmaid's tale sort of thing because that's what it feels like now it feels like it's reverting back into that era it feels like we've just reached the tip of the mountain and now we're going all the way back down it um because you just said about like you know gay you just said like gay marriage could be 
reversed, and that only became legal in the US, like, seven years ago, I think? Yeah. It feels... It feels like, you know, when, like, if you ever heard the term, I just, like, sometimes, like, uh, life imitates art, but sometimes that isn't a good thing, because, like, there's been, like, a lot of films that have, like, mentioned this sort of subject, and now it's become a reality, and it's, like, I feel like it's really, it's really, really scary, uh, and it's really, really messed up, I believe. I'd much rather the other way around, art imitating life, than life imitating art. Because, you know, last thing you want is, I don't know, I think a popular film last few years, Avengers Infinity War. You don't want that to happen in real life. Half the whole universe just disappears. Um, maybe a bit of a weird uh, analogy, but the, the main reason we brought up this story is because um, this is related to film, because multiple film corporations, including Sony... Netflix, Disney, all kind of like the big guns in the film industry have said um, that they will be reimbursing people who may need an abortion to travel to those states where they can get one. I feel like that's a really good thing to do, especially with like these big corporations and all that. Because you feel like, you know, a, a lot of um, the people in the USA and all that, that are like pro-life are like all these like really rich people, like, you know, like millionaires, billionaires and all that. And I find it, you know, horrible that, yeah, they won't uh, allow abortions, but they won't support anything to, you know, uh, actual childcare and childbirth. And also, a lot of people die in the USA from childbirth. And what happens to the kid, you know, after uh, childbirth when the mother's passed away and all that, because the, the US government and all that are not going to support that. Uh, and I, I think it's, you know, a really good gesture and a really good, uh, you know, way to just want to quickly point out i said that story slightly wrong it's for employees not for any i thought it was for just anybody uh, it's for strictly for their employees which i mean i guess i don't expect them to just give money out still it's a, it's a step in the right direction it's like you know all these people who claim to be pro-life like uh, what i say to them is if they truly care about the well-being of these children who are not wanted by the parents um what you should do is go and set up an orphanage or something and go and take in all these children who you are going outside these abortion clinics and advocating for no abortions. Um, take them in because I guarantee once that child is born, you don't care about them. Like you care about a fetus, which doesn't even, it's not going to care if it gets aborted. Because I feel like this rule, it's it's not just about, you know, like, it's about pro-life because it was never about pro-life. It's, I feel like what it is, and this is this is why we need, like, this is why there are movements that exist, like the feminist movements and all that. Because it's more to do with, like I was saying about Handmaid's Tale before, like I was saying about, like, you know, life imitates art because it's, a, it's, it's control over women's bodies. That's what it is, essentially, is control over that reproductive organ and a lot of it comes from men like just the stigma we just like you know like a lot a lot of decisions from the the higher ups like the supreme court is is men like all the old generation the older men like cisgender men and who i don't, don't have, think yeah you don't have a uterus they don't have like i feel like 
anybody who should be making decisions about this kind of thing should be somebody who has the ability who who that who it will actually affect because there's not a single cisgender man who is ever gonna experience the effects of childbirth firsthand maybe secondhand but like you know at the end of the day it's people who menstruate whether you're a woman a trans man non-binary anything like it's those people who this is going to affect not the people who are putting these laws and rules in to affect in into into the main position i just think it's it's wrong but it's absolutely um absolutely commend netflix paramount comcast sony warner brothers discovery amazon and disney who are the companies which i've seen um are going to reimburse their employees. Uh, yeah, I absolutely commend each of you for doing that and continue to step on this path. Don't make it some trend where it's like, oh, we'll help these people. Like genuinely just keep doing what you're doing. This is the right thing to do. <laughs> Despite all of this, the show must go on and we are at the end now of our fifth episode um if you missed last week's episode like i said before definitely go check that out we had special guest stefan davis on he was a pleasure to work with and hopefully we will get more guests on soon but uh you can join us next week uh for our sixth episode yeah you can let us know if there's any films you want us to talk about in the future uh you can contact us on our facebook twitter instagram all at so what are we watching and you can email us at so what are we watching at gmail.com but until then that is us done for today so that is me and jordan signing off so we will see you later so bye bye bye